Welcome to the Frontline Industry Podcast. Every week, we talk with top senior executives to get their advice on positively impacting frontline employees, companies, and customers. On today's episode, End Your Sentences in Question Marks, I talk with Mike Catanzaro, Chief People Officer at CSC ServiceWorks, the leading provider of commercial laundry and air vending solutions in the United States and Canada. Mike talks about leadership lessons from Punxsutawney Phil, the core trait he wants in a CEO, the impact of being vulnerable with employees about his mental health challenges, and much more. Don't go anywhere. The Frontline Industry Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Frontline Industry Podcast. My name is Joel, and joining me today is Mike Catanzaro, Chief People Officer for CSC ServiceWorks. If you haven't heard of them, uh, they actually serve more than 1 million machines every year. Uh, they're the leading provider of laundry solutions and air vending services throughout the United States and Canada. And they have over 40 million residents, consumers, property managers, and owners who they service and help every single day. And uh, it's a pretty incredible business. And we'll hear all about that. But first and foremost, Mike, welcome to the Frontline Industry Podcast. Thank you, Joel. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to see you. We got to know each other about a year, year and a half ago now. And I was reflecting, looking back on some of your LinkedIn activities. You're a pretty active guy. And uh, I found a post that you may have forgotten that you even put out there into the ether. Uh, It's good. Don't worry. Uh, But it's something you posted on LinkedIn on Groundhog Day. Do you remember what that was? I do. Yes, I do. Yes. All right. (laughs) <laughs> it was eight months ago, so I was like, I'm not sure if you remember, but I'm going to read it for everyone else since I'm sure that no one's going to go and look that far back on your LinkedIn profile. But I want to read it out loud, and then I'd love for us to talk about it briefly. Is that sure. okay? Absolutely. All right. You, you posted, today, Mr. Phil, as in Punxsutawney, not doctor, will predict the future by the shadow he casts or doesn't. As leaders, we need to look at the shadow we cast or don't. Your shadow is too big? What's the prediction? You will micromanage and block the light from your people. Your shadow is too small? Prediction. You will not be influential and you will feel like a victim. You are scared of your shadow? Prediction. You will second guess yourself and wonder if you are really a leader. You love your shadow? Prediction. Your relationships will suffer due to self-adulation and lack of service to others. And you have no shadow? Prediction. Your, you question your worth, get out of your hole, and be the dang badger you were meant to be. What shadow do or don't you cast? Mike, why did you post that? What was on your mind? Uh, just that. I mean, I'm a student of leadership, and I think leadership is about thinking about your influence uh, and what influence you have and, and really being reflective on how you cause others to act, react, or reflect. And... In the course of my, I mean, I was a student of leadership since I've been a young kid, and I've seen every one of those leaders and been every one of those leaders, by the way, Uh, and really always asking myself probably every three months, what's the kind of leader I want to be and what's the kind of influence I want to have? And in a sense, is my shadow too big, too small, just right? And am I being, uh, and somebody quickly corrected me and said, it's not a badger, but badgers (laughs) tougher <laughs> i know it's a groundhog but you know am i am i am i going after it right because uh the toughest the toughest leadership i believe is is leading yourself 
And, uh, and it's, it's really about reflecting and making sure that you're taking stock of how you're leading and, and how you're behaving uh, to, to create and be the person you want to be and help others to be. How do you know if your shadow is too small or too big or just right? Uh, how, do you, how can you self-reflect and actually recognize that? Can you? Is it possible to actually identify that yourself? Do you need others to essentially shine that light on you and let yeah. you know? How do you even recognize that, Mike? Oh, great. Great question. I mean, I think it's, it's about being observant, uh, being, uh, uh, you know, as uh, I think it was, uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but uh, HR leadership guru talking about your leadership, uh, you know, your leadership brand. And it's, it's about kind of, if you tell a joke, does anybody laugh, right? If you make a statement, does anybody respond or dig in? And, and you take a, a, a real stop of that to say, number one, the first, probably the first and best piece of feedback I ever got in my professional career was, Mike, less of what you say should end with periods and more of what you say should end with question marks, meaning be curious, right? Get in there and learn. Talk to me more about your sentences should end in question marks, because I think this is one of the skills that a lot of maybe first-time managers and folks who have been elevated to the position of management, and I, I didn't say leader yet, uh, struggle with because they feel like now that they have the supervisor title, the manager title, even the director title at times, and of course, all the way to VP and CEO, depending yeah. on who you are, they feel like it's now their job to tell others what to do, to prescribe, to use this now wealth of knowledge and experience they feel they have yeah. to better others around them and, and the work around them by taking charge, right? right? And I think that's a little bit off. And from what you're talking about with the question mark, talk to me about your experience with that, your beliefs around that. Yeah, well, again, I went on the journey, right? I was, uh, was going to go, graduated from college, was ready to go tackle the world, was going to be CEO someday. And I was, you know, I was, and I think uh, uh, Donald Trump show had just come out, right? The Apprentice. And it was like, that was the brand of leadership. Go be the project manager, tell people what to do, get them to do what you're thinking. And ironically, uh, you know, I've been a, a student of human behavior motivation, like I said, early in my life, but then made it more official when I went to college. And I just started to watch what worked and what didn't work. I mean, it was that simple. And what I noticed was uh, that, you know, when you got on the roll with a lot of periods at the end of your sentences, the eye roll meter went way, way up for the audience. But when you started to ask questions and, and engage the, the audience or the person in the dialogue around what are we trying to solve, what's working, what's not working, and how do we adapt, that simple kind of coaching cycle was just the key to the su success, right? And... And that's what changed me because I, for so long, I, I tried to find the secret sauce to how do you like this, turn on all the switches, somebody who's motivated and goes and gets the work done. Uh, and what I learned was uh, after a life spent studying motivation, that really uh, it's not only about motivation, right? It's about your systems and about how you, how you engage with people and processes and really ask the five whys, get to the root causes and understand what's going on so that you get improve your odds. And it doesn't take a lot, right? I mean, you only have to improve your batting average from 290 to 300 to get in the Hall of Fame. 
So for leadership, it, to me, it's the same thing. It's when you get just a little bit better batting average and a little bit closer to the ball, you hit much better. And so it was partly out of my just care for people because I wanted to know more about them and what they were thinking. But I also just found it worked a lot better to ask questions, engage in the dialogue, and then come together with, as Stephen Covey calls it, the third way, right? Synergize, which is habit number three, I think, in seven habits of how do you bring that together and not have to be the head buffalo, but really change into the proverbial flock of geese where everybody's kind of coming in and the, the wind of your wings is pushing the team along, right? So I would say that's that's at the crux of it. Was that it was more fun, it worked better. And I realized the people back to your groundhog question. I now say the shadow is directly proportional to the number of periods in your sentences. Because mm-hmm. when you're just telling and moving forward, it's your shadow gets big and it's about me and it's about my reputation and my uh uh you know the way I look. And and I think that's a problem today for leadership in organizations, in government, in a lot of things. It's about my reputation and how I look, not about the results I'm getting and how I'm moving people forward, right? And so that, to me, is how you start to look at, is this about my shadow? And am I hiding everybody else and just covering them? Or is this about not wanting to say anything and not wanting to ask the big question? Uh, if you ask anybody about what's my differentiators, I will ask the question that everybody wants to ask, but is too afraid. And that has been my hallmark and what I believe is one of the key uh, reasons why I'm in the position I am today is because I will just go there and ask the question, go, let's, let's, let's not dance around it. Let's get there. No shadows, no egos, mm. right? No empire building. It's about winning for me. And winning doesn't mean I win. It means we win. Yeah, that's well said. I, I want to go back to what you mentioned very briefly about five whys. And some people listening may not be familiar with five why analysis. And yeah. um, it's actually the first time anyone has mentioned it uh, on a guest of this show. And I want to dive into it a little more because I didn't actually expect that to be a topic that you brought up today. Uh, and it's not something that I, it's something I came across and used and leveraged a lot in the manufacturing world I used to be in. You know, a lot of root cause analysis happens on the shop floor of manufacturing plants, and you're always asking why this happened. Okay, why did that happen? And that's the only way you really can you can really make an impact on reducing machine downtime, reducing problems of delivery, or whatever it may be. But it sounds like you very intentionally actually think about that sort of thing in your role. And I'm wondering how asking five whys to get to root cause has manifested itself in your work, do you do it kind of just mentally daily? Is something that you walk your team through when trying to solve difficult challenges? How does that work for you? Yeah, I would say, uh, again, it goes back to human behavior. And why is somebody behaving the way they are or not behaving the way they should? And um, early in my career, I had a, a pleasure of being a consultant at Personnel Decisions International, which is a human resources consulting firm in their leadership practice. And I learned a lot from uh, uh, David Peterson, who was their coaching practice leader and who uh, went on to be executive development leader at Google and now is in uh, Goldsmiths, Marshall Goldsmiths, you know, top 100 thinkers. And he and Mary D. Hicks wrote a book called uh, uh, Leader's Coach. And they had a very simple framework called the Development Pipeline, which just became my, my diagnostic tool, right? And they basically said there are five necessary and sufficient conditions for behavior change or for development. And the first is insight, right? It's I need to know 
I need to know the expectation or in the 12 steps, I need to admit I have a problem, right? And go, okay, I recognize that there's an issue. And then there's motivation, right? I care about what has been revealed to me and I want to do something about it. And that's kind of the flywheel, as I call it, right? If you get insight and motivation going and get somebody locked on something that has meaning or purpose to them or that they want to achieve, the rest uh, kind of follows. But after insight and motivation comes capabilities or skills, right? So I either don't do what I want to do because I don't know I should, I don't really want to, I don't know how to. Uh, and then practice is the fourth condition, which is I have a daily or regular opportunity to practice what I'm trying to do. Uh, because if I don't use it, I lose it. And then the last part is accountability, right? Is, is there some natural accountability in the system or through my manager or through the work that I'm doing that I say I have to answer the call on this particular thing? And the five whys for, that I use is what's getting in the way of the, of the action we're looking to take, right? So perfect example, we have a, a roughly a thousand technicians out in the field, classic case of why are they going into the room fixing the service call and then coming out of the room when they see two or three other things wrong? Hmm. Why don't they fix it while they're there? Well, I could go to the period, the old mic that started with, that ended every sentence with a period and go, improve your performance, the beatings will continue until your performance improves. But instead I said, well, why are they, why are they going in the room and coming out? Well, there was only one service call. Okay, well, why, are, why was there only one service call? Well, because nobody else reported the others. Well, why didn't the others report? Oh, okay, well, there's that. Then there's the, well, why if they saw it and there was no service call, why wouldn't they fix it? Well, again, it's a classic example of a customer service agent on the phone getting measured in speed of answer mm. or, or you know uh, resolution. And they're getting in and getting out and they're checking off their service call for the day and they get measured on activities per hour. And so if there was a call not in the system, they don't get credit for it and, and they don't get rewarded appropriately or they don't get the recognition they deserve. And so how do you really get to the root cause of what's getting in the way? And, you know, early I was, uh, I kind of got into HR through sales training. And I remember after, after this development pipeline example of saying, you know, it's only about 10 to 20% of behavior change that is knowledge or skill based. The rest is, do I understand why, right, typical, and do I understand how, and then what's the impact of me not doing this to the system? And if you can really identify those and tie those well together through really understanding the problem and not just throw more training at it, let's do another training, let's do another, I go, no matter how much training we do, that metric will not change. And the accountability of that, in this case, in the development light pipeline, it's Insight, yep, I know there's an issue. Motivation, it's it's the core of my job. I know that's important. Skill, I know how to fix the issue. Practice every day, I'm, I am in this. It was really about the misalignment of accountability. And how do I change the accountability mechanism so that when they're in there, and in fact, our main uh, project we're working on now is changing that mentality to go, you know, do the do the full room inspection when you're there especially in our bigger, more profitable accounts. And that's going to have a tremendous business impact. And so by asking those questions and not being about casting a big shadow to say, oh, get the metrics better. It's let's figure this out. Let's create the system. Because, you know, one of my favorite books everybody's reading recently is Atomic Habits. And it's, you know, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And that's where we're trying to really calibrate. So I feel like the five whys 
get you to where's the system breaking down? Where do you, you know, in open the pipe so that better performance can flow through it and then use the answers to those questions to get smarter and evolve and then, you know, error proof the system. So I always say there's six sigma in process. This is just six sigma for people. Mm. And it's the same thing. What's the constraint? How do we error proof it? Make it easy and frictionless and then move it on. So it's been very powerful. And uh, working in manufacturing a lot like you over my career, it's just there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, transferable language that helps for people to improve and get more efficient, more effective. No, that's really true. And I, I felt that as well coming out of manufacturing, that there were a lot of principles and, and experiences that I had there that translated in ways I didn't necessarily expect. Yeah. One of the things that I think stands out as one of those transferable uh, ideas or things that I brought with me from manufacturing is tracking the right metrics. And you mentioned that earlier that, you know, yeah. trying to get off the call as quickly as possible and, and getting resolution times as the goal was actually hurting the business, right? And and we can sometimes put the wrong metrics in place and believe that, you know, we are failing because of those metrics not being met or whatever. And we dig deep using the 5Y analysis. We dig deep in understanding what we're actually incentivizing for the behaviors in our organizations. And we find that we're actually putting the, the wrong metrics in place, incentivizing the wrong behaviors. And when we're incentivizing those wrong behaviors, we're setting up our teams to fail, because we have now told them that the ultimate goal uh, is actually no longer the ultimate goal that we believe as a leadership team that we're striving for is actually not their goal. Your goal is just to do this one thing. In reality, when I don't understand the bigger picture of what I'm trying to accomplish in my role and how this little tiny thing actually impacts a broader metric, a broader purpose, broader goal, it, it fails to actually achieve the desired results. And I'm wondering for you, Mike, as a leadership team, how what what are your uh, metrics now? What are the things that you track that are your indicators of future success versus perhaps those call resolution times that you notice yeah. were were failing to deliver? Yeah, now it's really focusing more on the leading indicators, right? Of again, back to the systems and going. If this is done, this is the most likely result. So. We, for a long time, we tracked time to close, which literally is what it sounds like. The case got open. How long did it take us to resolve it? Mm -hmm. um, you can imagine as a talent acquisition professional, there were times where I was tempted to close the rec, reopen it so that I could reset the clock, right? And there was a lot of that going on uh, in our time to close metrics. So we went to a service level agreement to say 95% of calls have to be closed within X amount of days. And so again, lots of manipulation of what well, we had the huge bimodal distribution of cases over 20 days and cases under a half day so that they could get to the average of uh, 95%, right? And so how do you really look at what, I think it's less about the what and more about the how you use the metric. Because I think once you get focused on the metric, people get focused on managing the metric, not what the behavior was that the metric was intended to drive, right? And to focus on. And so, you know, I always joke about it. I make a lot of uh, uh, metaphors and analogies against weight loss, but I say, if all I'm doing is tracking, you know, the number of pounds I've lost, but I'm starving myself and I cut off my left arm to lose five pounds, am I really achieving the intended goal? 
And so it's the same thing to say, how do you really make sure you're communicating the intent of the metric, not just the metric itself? And then getting back to the, the five whys of, okay, why, why is this happening? And then how do you, I think what we've done, again, borrowing from the uh, lean Six Sigma world is, how do you have a primary metric and then a secondary metric that makes sure you're not overcorrecting? Mm-hmm. Right? So we put in a service level agreement percentage, which was you know 95% of cases closed within three days. And then we put a secondary metric, which was number of late cases. And we could then balance that out to say, now we want to try to get to as many as we can. And then the question becomes, why aren't we hitting it? Why aren't we hitting the metric? Not m- manipulate your metrics so you're not in the bottom because we stack rank everything like many organizations do. I don't want to be the last branch with the lowest metric, or I don't want to be the last person with the lowest metric. And just trying to remove the obstacles. Because even if you put, I mean, one of my leadership axioms is if you put an A player in the C system, the system always wins. Mm. And so it's you can point and yell it at uh, at people to do better. But if the system is is keeping them from being better, ask questions about the system first before the person and make sure that the metrics are understood about the intent and then how to, you know, the goal is not to manipulate the metric and cut your arm off. So you say, see, I lost five pounds. It's to say, hey, in many cases, you know, we found, and you wouldn't be surprised, it was the people in the rural, rural areas, the technicians in the rural areas that have long drives between clients uh, or between rooms, laundry rooms or air. We also do gas stations and air machines. And while people in Manhattan are doing eight, nine calls a day, these people are doing three. And then you can stack rank that, but you got to ask, well, okay, what's wrong with that system? Simple example. But but I think in that case, it's not the end. Of it. The end in itself is not the metric, right? It's the behaviors that you intend to create from using that metric to then say, okay, are we practicing the right things? Do we have the right systems and behaviors in place to get closer to the goal um, versus, you know, have the perfect metric? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a kind of a, a, a way around your question, but I'd say the number one metric we're using on the commercial side is when we sell a deal and we put, we uh, estimate how much it's going to generate in a property or in a, in a series of properties, what's what actually happens and what's the correlation between forecasted and actual, because you have, we have a lot of industry data that gives us very pretty good precision. And we're at a 95% hit rate, nine and a half out of 10, we forecast within a tolerance of about 3%. Wow. So again, before it was write any deal you want. Now it's, hey, let's look at is, are you using the right information to make the right decision? And then is that coming out to play? And then we show it to you. And I will tell you without naming names, if you said who's going to have the lowest accuracy, who's going to have the highest, you could almost, you could almost guess without even seeing the metric. And that's why I say not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that uh, count uh, can be counted counts. Mm. Right. And so that's the, that's really my point of view on metrics is like, it's gotta, that gets you moving. The metric gets you moving, but understanding the intent of the metric is the key so that you can go, okay, let me look at my systems, look at my behaviors, look at my practices and how can I improve that so I can make progress and it should show up in the metric, but it shouldn't be about, you know, shortcutting to make the metric look better. 
I want to go back to what you just said and, and the and the phrase you just shared. I love that. Um, and the first part of it is not everything that counts can be counted. I think that's one of I said that right, right? Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's attributed to Einstein. So, but and I think that's even false. So we'll go with that. But yeah, you know what? It sounds great when you said it. So we'll say it's attributed to you for now. But uh, <laughs> the uh, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that I have seen and I've not lived in your shoes, but from the outside looking in, in the HR world, it's not, not everything that counts can be counted. Yeah. And you do so many things. You have so many initiatives, you have so many brainstorming sessions and planning sessions and executions of great ideas and important things in a business that in the HR world, sometimes because you're not operations, you're not sales, you're not marketing with necessarily the same quantifiable metrics that they have and you have your own, of course, but it's hard to sometimes prove what you're doing is making a difference. It's sometimes hard to prove that it's worth the investment, it's worth the time. Talk to me about that challenge in your world, how you're seeing a shift perhaps um, in 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 addressing that challenge and what you're doing about it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think in, in social sciences, right, I always say if you get a you know, if you get a 0.3 correlation coefficient and what you're doing in some change, you're celebrating, which is not that high if you're in manufacturing, right? So it's hard to uh, it's hard to quantify. I think, and and when I come into contact with newer folks in, in learning and development, especially, right? Because it's like, well, how do we prove the trend? Like we've been asking this question for the 30 years I've been in learning and development. So, you know, I don't know that there's an answer to that question because, and I will say the biggest uh, a compliment I got this week, we're at a trade show conference, we're sitting around having dinner and it was myself, uh, uh, Andrew Kleiner, who's our chief operating officer and Eric Rasmussen, who's our chief commercial officer. And one of the salespeople said, I can't believe that the C-suite is sitting with us. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so now how do you measure that? How do you measure the impact on that person's performance? How do you measure it on their engagement on, and I said, I said, and there's no higher compliment for me. So how do I measure that? Right. I go, I've, you could say anything else that was better than you guys have been really smart about the new approach to business. It's like, it feels different. The yeah. culture feels different. It feels like we're really trying to win, not just sell the company or whatever, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me in my practice, there's some that correlate very directly, right? I mean, talent acquisition, pretty, pretty direct. Right. Comp and then pretty direct when you get into the organizational effectiveness and development, much less direct. And so what I've stopped doing is a program pushing. That to me is the is the antidote. So because I did this for too many years and didn't learn fast enough, I guess, or had leaders that wanted to program push and I just carry the water. But what I mean by that is instead of saying, we have a management development program. Want to buy it? I say, what are you trying to achieve in the business? In this case, what we talked about with uh, with the service techs and what they do and how they service the room. Well, what's the main determinant of practice and accountability and skill building? It's the manager. So then I ask the question and I go back to my opening salvo in this conversation around, well, what percentage of this change is behavioral versus not? And I invariably get 80% or better. 
Yeah. So then how are you going to change behavior? I'm not really sure. Who's going to help be part of the behavior change? It's always the manager. So then I say, well, what do you want to do? And they say it and I go, hey, how? Wh- what do you think if we did this? And it's already the management development program we've built, right? And then you just institute that and you go, we're just going to use this as the horse and we're going to hook our car to it. We're going to go, this is, leadership is about driving results. In this case, the result is service the room, not just the service call. How do we change that? How do you hire differently for that? How do you onboard differently? Tell them the first thing out of your mouth should be our service techs fix the room, not the call or whatever, the, however you manage it and weave that in and then measure the impact on service and take credit for that. That's the best I've figured out, right? And say we, and then have people more, more qualitatively and anecdotally say, yeah, until we put that system in place, we were, we were not getting better results. Now we do and it's working, right? So our performance management process, I, I'm a corny uh, labeler, but it's called be great at work because I want people to, because I have a notion that everybody wants to win at some level in their life and work is a place you can do that. So how do we help you be great? And the irony is when you ask people that question, you know what they define? A performance management system. (laughs) You know what the number one (laughs) thing people hate is in HR? Their performance management system. So why? Why? It's not in the what, it's in the how, much like the metric, much like it's, it's how you're going about it and going, if you believe people are lazy and not doing their job, you're going to lean on metrics. Yes. I tend to believe people want to win and something's getting in their way. And for 10% of the population, that is their personality, their attitude, their, their own drive. But for the vast majority, it's just, it's just connecting a dot. And then making sure those dots push some meaningful, meaningful performance in the business and taking credit for that. And then you don't, you never have to ask. Uh, nobody ever asks you for training metrics when that happens. They just see that it's driving the business. And that's, that's what's happened here. I have yet to put a management development program in place. I have yet to put a high potential program in place. What we do is all those things without labeling it and just making sure that we are driving the business and making sure people are learning from that action. So even in our ELT meetings, going off tangent a little bit, but even in our ELT meetings, we now have a 30-minute after-action review of like, what were we trying to achieve? What worked? What didn't work? What are we going to do differently next time? And I obnoxiously pull up the list in the next meeting, go, here's what we worked. Here's what we said we do different. And then we look again and go, what changed? And it's, it's manufacturing 101. It's like, you got to do the same thing because there's so much stuff out there that's competing for your attention. So if you have a metric, a close metric, and you manage it right, not by saying you're the worst, get your metric up, but what's getting in your way that's not getting in everybody else's way. And then let's remove that. And if not, let's focus on accountability and making sure you're clear and then reflecting on it. And so in our Be Great at Work, we have our win session once a month, what I need to win. It's a, again, I'm a labeler, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a closet marketer, uh, which <laughs> is why you can see I'm still in the, in, in the closet of marketing because you know, I'm cheesy. But, but it's, I want people going in with the right question, right? Is this time is to say, what do I need to win in my job? And if you say, I'm good, great. And if your performance is good, great. 
but metrics to me drive the drive that conversation to go my left to right of the metric and why what's working what can I share where I'm winning and what where can I go learn where I'm not and for the human uh, services it's I tend to do more qualitative stuff I actually just use a a plus neutral minus system mm -hmm. I learned this from Mark Samuel who wrote the power of personal accountability and early in my career I went to one of his sessions and he said don't hold people accountable help them to be counted on and that blew my mind right and so you go is it trending up is it trending down or you're about where you were before just like we do in business yeah. and then you go why why not and what can we do this week this month to get better and that to me you will see the outcome in the metrics but in the human world i just say plus minus neutral so i don't get hung up in numbers and and variances and standard deviations it's like do you feel like you're getting better or worse mm -hmm. and i will tell you the cynic will say well most people just say i'm doing i'm doing great or better and i will tell you that is not my experience when you're when you have a good relationship and people know that you're not trying to document for uh hr use later they will have an honest conversation i'm really getting stuck here and then you both win because you can educate them feel good that you're leading well they get improved and the metric takes care of itself uh, in the business and the human metric of, I wanna be more concise, or I wanna use less questions, or more questions, less statements. Those things just plus minus neutral, where are we? And that to me has been the way I manage the more uh, qualitative stuff. And then just make sure that whatever I'm doing is driving a business result. So I could ask the business leaders, did that help you achieve? And then I don't have to justify my existence because that's what I think happens. In in some of these uh, high spend management development programs. Right. So you've worked for a lot of leaders throughout your career. You've now made it to your position um, and have learned quite a bit of what not to do and yeah. what to do as you've shared today. Let's talk about your one remaining manager above you, uh, not by name, but by title, right. uh, whether or not you're working here or anywhere else. Right. What's... You know, we have a lot of people who are CEOs and, and executives listening. What's the one trait or one best practice from a CEO that you think people leaders like yourself in the CHRO, chief people officer roles would appreciate the most? I, I it's, it's a little cliche, um, but it's, fundamentally true for me and the people that I've seen is, is truly the power of vulnerability. And I wouldn't even say authenticity because I think that gets thrown around too much. I use vulnerable, they're connected. But again, it goes back to the groundhog quote, right? If you come in as the big dog and you're going to, you know, rule the territory and you don't want to hear the feedback up sideways or down, you are not going to win. Not today. That might, again, might have worked in 1950 when things, you know, took five days to get a letter and you had time to think. But today, you have got to be completely connected into the organization so that you could harness the power of the network. Well, how do you do that? You have to be approachable and vulnerable. And I will give a shout out to my current CEO. This is a superpower of his, is that he talks very openly about what drives him. Uh, from in his childhood and how and how some bad circumstances led him to be the person he is today. And then he says, and sometimes I overdo that. So 
forgive me when I overdrive because that's in my DNA, but I'm not going to settle for mediocrity. Now, that's the same message as we got to win, people, start winning. But just a right. much different, much more like I can connect the proverbial, I can have a beer with this guy, right? I can sit down. And it's what our, our senior sales leader said to me this week. It's like I'm with the with the with some of the past leaders. I didn't feel like I could have these conversations because I felt like I would be complaining or they would see me as lazy or weak. And it's like, no, we want this feedback because to me, it's like if that was a customer, we'd be listening with all ears. So then it is a customer of our employment product. So why aren't we listening? And how do you be really approachable and vulnerable to go, no, I feel the same thing. I'm not going to sit here and say it's fixed because we lead the company and that reflects on me. So I think the vulnerability in that is saying, no, I recognize things aren't perfect. And by the way, I'm not going to blame anybody for it. I'm just going to say, what is the two or three things we can do to move two or three yards down the field or make some progress and, and have that conversation and then really listen. Um, because that to me is the toughest part is then to say, how do you take that and really respond to it? Because mm -hmm. we, we uh, I asked the organization to be vulnerable a couple of months ago, the C-suite got on an ask me anything meeting, full, full organization, over 2000 people invited. I think we had 1500 come. And I'll tell you, I was, I felt terrible at the end because there was great feedback, which was first time we ever did this. We love this. Like, thank you. And then one still sticks with me. I'm still a little like, uh, and on me, not on the comment was we didn't get real answers. Hmm. I just feel like, oh, that's exactly what I don't want. It. And I said that in our, we have an old employee uh, uh, bulletin board through Yammer, right? Through uh, Microsoft uh, Teams. And I said, and this is what I mean by vulnerability. Some people get mad at that and go, well, come on, it's our first call. I leaned right into it. And I said, that's exactly what we don't want. So next call, let me know if we do better, right? Because I, I didn't think we were trying to do that. I felt like we were as honest as we could be in a short, like we can't unpack everything in a half hour, hour call. But it's that vulnerability to go, wait, don't get offended. Don't get defensive. Go, there was something in my product that didn't sell. If that was a customer telling me you could improve your product by doing this, I'd listen. So just don't get defensive about it. Get curious about it. Ask a question. Don't go to see these people are ungrateful because that's what I've seen other CEOs do. But I, and I'll tell you, I am at my peak engagement level ever in my career because of the four people I'm leading this organization with, because we do this. We don't go in and go, well, you're not doing this and you're not doing that. It's we've got a problem. Let's get around it. Let's be vulnerable about where we're struggling. And then let's go win, not argue about why I'm not doing my job, because that's nine times out of 10. That's not the problem. Mm -hmm. that answered your question, but that would be it's and if you have if one of your listeners has not read Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, that is what I I'm was talking. just gonna say you are <laughs> you are definitely there's a few times you throughout today I'm like that's uh it's the manager by Gallup and by uh Clifton from mm -hmm. Gallup. That's yeah. Brene Brown. So I, I'm picking out these things. I, yeah. that's that's a great suggestion. Yeah. Um no, tell you, I, personally like I made a, I took the most vulnerable I've ever been in front of 2,000 people this, this week because it's Mental Health Awareness Week. Mm -hmm. And early in my career, I struggled very much with depression and, and mostly because of performance. I didn't feel like I was performing well. And it was like, wow. And then it led to I'm not going to have a job. I'm going to get fired. I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. 
And, and I went in a deep depression and I felt what it felt like to not be able to get out of bed. And I was the person before saying, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on. You just got to motivate because I was a motivation guy. Yeah. And then I got hit with this thing I couldn't control. And so I put, you know, a note on, on our uh, CSE conversations is what our kind of our uh, internal Yammer uh, channel is. So I said, you know, it's, it's a mental illness awareness week. And I said, as somebody who's been there, I know what it feels like to feel hopeless. I mean, putting this out for everybody to read. And the response is just dramatically positive, right? And they said, and, and my favorite vulnerability boomerang was somebody said, thanks for being vulnerable. I said, I don't feel vulnerable at all. I feel strength over overcoming something because I asked for help and I had people that loved me and stood around me and helped me dig out. I said, and we're here to help you with that. One of our core values is values differences. We care about you more than we care about the job. So if there's anything we can do to help you, we have resources, but more importantly, I'm a human being. I'm not a chief executive, uh, chief C-suite officer. I'm a human being that's been there and I'm happy to throw the rope over the wall and help you pull out, right? And that's where people go. Now, th this is what culture is. This is what engagement is. This is the kind of company I want to work for. That's not why I do it. That's not the metric I have on my wall. It's what drives me and it leads to that outcome, right? And that's, and I said, it was, a, I, I actually don't feel vulnerable at all in putting that up. I feel very strong in putting that up. And that's what happens when you lean into that and go, you, there's nothing that can really hurt me out there because I have the inner strength that comes from knowing that, that, you know, there's a higher power and something in me that can overcome really dark stuff. Yeah. And I believe that's in everybody. So when you pull people into that, it's very contagious. And again, the, our chief executive officer, my colleagues on the, on, the, uh, on the executive team all have that trait. And I believe it's part of why the culture is really moving in the right direction. I love that. I, I, um, th I love the way you frame that, that, you know, I don't feel vulnerable. I feel strength because that really is the key. You know, vulnerability is an act of strength. Yeah. It exudes strength and it, it grows and encourages the strength of others because, you know, when you can see your boss or your boss's boss or your boss's 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 boss, as you are to many people in the organization, yeah. uh, be vulnerable. It gives you the freedom to own where you're at, not yeah. posture, not stand there or strut like Conor McGregor, like you, you're totally fine, strong and great all you're the time. Good. You got the Conor McGregor thing down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, but you are owning the reality of your existence right now. And the reality is we're holistic beings. We don't have work-life balance. We just have balance. We are holistic. We don't leave our life at home and go to work. We don't leave our work and go at home. We are individuals who carry all of it with us. And for the employee that has the the wife who is leaving him, the kid who's in the hospital, the illness that his father has right now, or the friend who just left her after 20 years of friendship because of a misunderstanding, these are things that we carry with us into our work that impacts performance that isn't going to define the rest of our lives, but yeah. it's going to define the next day, week, month, perhaps ahead of us because we can't just leave it alone. And for a leader to be able to notice that and then and be able to embody that vulnerability and carry that legacy for days, weeks, months, years, and yeah. demonstrate that themselves creates a culture where that employee can raise their hand and go, I'm not okay. I need help. And then this our responsibility as leaders to rally around them and give them what they need. And that's, as you say, contagious in an organization. It is. No, I mean, we've seen it. 
we've seen it and uh you know it is it's it's the again it's an, a, 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 maybe a, a force fit but i really think it connects back to the 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 groundhog metaphor right because when all you're doing is looking forward and the light shining on your face and drowning everybody at back of you you can't you're, you're not in the mindset to see that and go how do we not and 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 it's not about this was always the conundrum for me because in past organizations i felt like culture and, and and employee engagement and experience was about driving business results and for me it's an outcome of my desire to be a high functioning human being who helps others win uh, my, you know, Adam Grant is is right now my the guy I'm listening to most. And you know, he, he was on his podcast, and somebody asked him, "What's your definition of success?" And he says, "My highest success is when I help somebody else succeed." And 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 I know you well enough to know that's probably on your list as well. And it's like there's nothing better. There's a, a sweetness to my own success, but when I see somebody else win, and it's like, "Wow, thank you for helping me." I had somebody who's now the head of. Uh, talent development for a very large organization. She was a keynote speaker at a conference and they asked her to share about, you know, who's the best leader you ever had. She said, when I'm talking, I'm going to be talking about you, Mike. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about feeling good that she, it was like she had achieved and something that I did helped her, helped her to get there. And it's like, that's, that's what it's about. And then it just inspires a lot of great stuff. Yeah. And I don't sit here going, okay, we need 10% more in EBITDA. How do I engage people so we get that? It's like, no, this is just, and again, I'm speaking for the senior leadership team, which is about 25 of us uh, that report to the C-suite. I believe that's a trait that runs through every one of us that says it's not a, we don't value differences because we have to, because CNN tells us or Fox tells us to do that. It's because it's who we are and what we want to yeah. be. And I said, my my legacy here is going to be when I can drop uh, at work from our Be Great at Work uh, program, and it could just be Be Great. And we're helping you win with your finances. We're helping you win with your marriages. We're helping you win. And we're giving you resources for all that so that you can really feel like at the end of, you know, Saving Private Ryan when he whispers and nobody knows what he said, it's, did I earn it? Did I earn it here? And that, to me, is is what we should all be asking ourselves. Hmm. That's a good word, Mike. Well, I, I want to wrap up with one final question for you. And that question is, what's something that you believe that if everyone else believed to, you think would make this world a better place? I, I, I think it is that the value of the perspective is really fascinating to me. Like growing up, average height, average weight, below average income, right? All that stuff. I thought I was like everybody. So they probably thought like me. Um, and when you just ask, and again, it goes back to when you start to ask questions, mostly because I never listen. But when you really started to listen to the nuance about, you know, how people were answering your question and go, yeah, there's some themes, but there's a nuance here that's interesting. That will be the difference. Uh, I think that's, that's really, really important because it's, it's important for how you lead. It's important for how you, develop your products and services. It's important for how you understand your customers and consumers. It's important for every aspect of life to say, what is the perspective that I am hearing and how do I factor that into the decisions I'm making? To me, that's data. That's not just emotion or, or wasted, wasted sentence. So I think it's, 
ask questions, really understand the perspective, and then ask one follow-up question. Don't just think you know it, right? So the, the well, I used to do a lot of leadership development training. I used to use the example of a, it was a Dateline or a 2020 where it was about uh, child abduction. And they were talking about how um, this, you know, they were interviewing children to understand what were the what were the uh, things that really lured them away, for, you know, and tried to find themes. And so the interviewer was asking this one young girl, she was probably seven or eight, and said, well, you know, if you were out on the street and, and somebody asked you to help find uh, their, their uh, puppy, would you help? And she said, no, 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 I definitely wouldn't help. Now, the average leader would go, good, got that out of the way. But in this particular interview, the woman asked, what about if it was a cat? And she said, oh, yeah, then I would definitely help. And she said, well, why is that? Why a puppy and not a cat? She said, those cats are much harder to find. They need, he would need a lot more help. And I go, it's just like that one additional kind of just, I don't want to be satisfied with what seems to be the answer I wanted, which decision bias is on that list. As I told you, that's my other favorite topic outside leadership, obviously very connected. But it's like, am I always listening for the confirmatory answer? Mm. Or am I looking for the difference? Because as Yuri and Fisher say in getting TS, which is a mechanic for me of influence and negotiating, is the value is not in the common, the value is in the different, right? And that to me is finding that in a fast paced world and everybody's impatient and not wanting to ask questions and not wanting to spend more than 17 minutes in a meeting. It's very challenging, but the risk and the effort is worth the reward. Hmm. Well, thanks Mike for that. And, uh, you know, for those listening, I, I hope that you take away a nugget today that you can apply. I think it's so easy to listen and nod our heads and go, ah, that's good information. And this is, I really uh, truly believe and agree with this. It's another to take something away and go, I'm going to lead differently because of what I've heard today. And a couple of those things for me that stand out that I'll be thinking about, Mike, uh, ending my sentences with more question marks than periods is so good. Um, and, uh, you know, some things that you've said today have reaffirmed a lot of my passions and beliefs as well around vulnerability, around, um, what it looks like to develop leaders. And I just want to thank you for the time you've spent today and yeah. in, in sharing your heart, sharing your experience and, um, and sharing your wisdom. No, it is absolutely my pleasure. And I, and I share the, I share your hope. I really hope, uh, somebody listening could, could have that one sentence that turns them around and happens for some of us. And my life mission now, Joel, is for anybody that's listening, um, if if they're struggling with mental health and they need just somebody to go, nobody gets this, like yourself included, whoever it is in your family, like I am open morning, noon, night, weekends. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a professional, but I am a human that understands that one, it happens, two, it's wacky, and three, you can, you can get through it. So to me, that is... Uh, that may be the definition of leadership too. There you uh, go. So, you know, I really appreciate being on. appreciate what you're doing and wish you the best. Thanks, Mike. Well, for those listening, uh, take Mike up on it. Uh, take me up on it. Uh, as someone who's had his own mental health challenges, struggles with anger, struggles in his marriage, struggles in parenting. Um, you know, if you're listening, you're probably going, oh, shoot, I'm not alone. You're not alone. And uh, I, I encourage you, whether it's us or anyone else, to reach out. And, uh, and better yourself along the way because of others who are vulnerable like you today, Mike. Thank you so much for being here. This has been another episode of the Frontline Industry Podcast and we'll see you next time. 
Since you're still listening, I don't know about you, but I know so much good advice and insight could be crammed into so little time. And if you loved listening to Mike and you're still tuning in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our website, or any other platform, please click follow and any notification bells to get reminders when new episodes come out. People like Mike are really hard to find, and we truly appreciate your support in helping us keep this content flowing every week. You absolutely make a difference. 